This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A athletics. Welcome to another edition of Wildcat Country, Eric Cohen and Shane Dale, and it's a week with another Final Four team, a, some Pac-12 champions, and a team that's advancing to the regional finals. It's a busy week in, in Arizona uh, athletics world, and we're always grateful for that. Uh, Shane, you know, big time show, you sat down with Jacob Berry, the infielder from the Arizona Wildcats, Pac-12 champs. We'll talk more about them, but where you're going, you had a chance to talk to him, so we'll play that. And then Matt Moreno... Uh, the senior editor of GoAZCats.com going to join us later in the program, and we'll ask everything about Wildcats basketball. In the meantime, though, let's talk about the spring sports, especially the Pac-12 champion Arizona Wildcats baseball team. I want to take a step back, Eric, and note just how remarkable this spring has been for Arizona athletics. And it's easy to overlook because – Football and men's basketball are the, they're the two big talkers. They, you know, they just are. Football was miserable. Men's hoops is still in a state of uncertainty, to say the least, uh, both on and off the court. But you consider all of these things. The women's basketball team came literally a few inches from winning the national championship. I know they're not necessarily a spring sport, but it happened pretty recently. You know, and that was a team that won six games three years ago. They came literally this close to winning the national title. Our men's golf team won the Pac-12 championship. Our men's tennis team advanced to the national Sweet 16 and finished with its highest ever uh, national ranking. Our beach volleyball team finished in the top 10. Our women's golf team, and I know we'll talk more about this later, they just advanced to the national semifinals. Our softball team is on the Super Regionals and has a chance to move on to the College World Series. And then we haven't even gotten to the baseball team yet. And, and they're obviously legitimate national championship contenders. So I feel like the college sports gods are kind of telling Wildcat fans, look, we know you've been through a lot of turmoil, a lot of garbage. Here are some things to help lift your spirits and make you proud to be an alum or be a student or whatever. Uh, but in all seriousness, it, you know, it's difficult to believe that after the football and men's hoop seasons we had, that Wildcat pride is so abundant right now. And that's due to the overall body of work of these so-called other sports. I know you had a different term for them, Eric. We won't mention that. Yes, I did. Yes, uh, thank that, you. <laughs> that they've collectively exceeded expectations for the last several months. Uh, and for that, including the baseball team, I am extremely thankful, especially being up here in Sun Devil country uh, to wear the colors, which, you know, a couple months ago, wasn't feeling it quite so much. And now it's, I, I Wildcat pride is back. And it's think that's thanks to so many of these teams that have gone, that have exceeded expectations these last couple months. Well, I think you said it best, Shane. I think, you know, you look at what happened in the fall with the football team. It was an utter train wreck. You had the basketball turmoil with, with Sean Miller, and now that's finally cleared out. We're in the Tommy Lloyd era, and we're in the Jed Fish era. You know, and I think it was interesting what uh, tennis coach Clancy Shields said uh, this past week. He said, bringing Jed Fish in has kind of united the whole campus. Fish has shown that enthusiasm for the other sports, and I think that's something that we were we were really missing. And I think it it brought everybody together. I know Sean Miller was kind of aloof because of his situation, but you know, watching Jed Fish travel out to San Antonio to support the women's basketball team, to go to watch the tennis matches, to always tweet about when the the women's golf team makes the Final Four and upsets Stanford, 
you know, it's really awesome to see the football coach paying attention to the other sports. You know, we didn't see Kevin Sumlin give two flying hoots about any other sport, in, in probably including his own sport that he was coaching. You know, Sean Miller wasn't like that. Adia Barnes is, and, and you know, Jay Johnson is, and and that's great. But it's so cool to see Jed Fish caring about about these other sports. You know, cheering on women's golf going to the Final Four on even on Twitter, going to San Antonio watching the. Uh, the women's hoops uh, elite eight game, I believe. I mean, that's just so cool to see. And, and, you know, bringing these coaches and these, it's like a fraternity now of coaches at Arizona. And we haven't had that in a long time. And that's no offense to Mike Stoops or Rich Rodriguez, uh, someone we we know he had his, but it's just cool to see Jed Fish has united them. To watch the women's basketball team get serenaded almost uh, on their way to San Antonio, leaving McHale Center with a football team, you know, there to cheer them on. I mean, that was such a cool sight to see. So I think things have really turned around for Arizona athletics once Jed Fish came aboard. Well, and, and he hasn't just been a uh, like a cheerleader. He's he's collaborated. You know, Jay Johnson told us that he and, and Jed Fish have worked on bringing some two-way uh, recruits to Arizona, football and baseball players as well. So it goes well beyond that. And I feel like maybe it's my imagination, but it really seems like more of the other sports are retweeting or quote tweeting or congratulating the other sports more so than before. It seems like Jed Fish has really mm. started that trend. So maybe that's my imagination, but it seems like that's more of a common occurrence over the last couple months than it was before. Does that make a difference? I don't know, but it, it certainly helps. Uh, it can't hurt in terms of uh, school pride. I want to get a little more into the baseball team because uh, they, they, clinched the uh, Pac-12 in dramatic fashion, uh, Pac-12 title, by rallying to beat Oregon State with five runs in the eighth inning on Sunday in Corvallis. And then an hour later, they actually watched on their their phones as um, Stanford rallied to beat Oregon to clinch the Pac-12 for them. So uh, this is a, a fantastic team. Like you said, they're ranked in the top 10 in every poll. It looks like unless they get swept by Dixie State this weekend, they should be a lock for a top eight seed and the uh, opportunity to host regionals and super regionals. Uh, they're by far the best hitting baseball team in the country. They lead the NCAA in hits, runs. It's not close. Pitching's the question. Uh, they're sixth in the Pac-12 in ERA. That's six out of 11 teams, so they're right in the middle because Colorado doesn't have a baseball team. Uh, they've walked 210 batters. That's the third most in the conference. Now, they've allowed a league low 21 home runs, which is good, but as much as I love this team, and, and they, they found dramatic ways to win, and they just have that, that kind of X factor, I'm more inclined, Eric, to bet on a team like Vanderbilt, which has two pitchers who may be selected in the top five of the MLB draft to win the whole thing. Arizona's pitching, especially its bullpen, they've been collectively better in the second half of the season than they were in the first half. They're still not in that top tier of, it, tier of NCAA teams. So I agree. I think they can make the College World Series at this point. I think they should. Can they win it all? I think their pitching is going to need to improve dramatically. Not dramatically, but at least improve – do better than exceed their expectations, exceed what they've done so far if they're going to have a chance to win a championship. Sure, you can say that. Now, first of all, you look at Vanderbilt with Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker and say, well, those are, I mean, those are, are dynamic pitchers that nobody else in the country, I mean, they're probably the two best starting pitchers in the country and they happen to be on the same team. And Vanderbilt right. won right. the last College World Series in 2019, even though, you know, because remember they didn't play last year. So sure, I mean, Vanderbilt has that advantage, but... When you can out-hit everybody and your pitching is just good enough, which Arizona's has been, why not? Why, why can't they give it a run? You know, if you get with, with 
dynamic bats like the Wildcats have, if you get to Jack Leiter early, you get to Kumar Rocker early, Vanderbilt's not going to know what to hit. Vanderbilt's not used to scoring 10 runs to win a, to win a ball game when those guys pitch. You know, they, they can score two runs and win. Arizona's not winning scoring two runs. We know that. Arizona has to score six, seven, eight runs. You know, what they do, they, they beat Oregon State 6-5 on Sunday. I mean, they're, they're not going to win games scoring less than six runs. It just, it's just not going to happen uh, consistently, should I say. So I, I'm very bullish on their chances, and I don't see any reason why this is not a final four team, uh, just like other spring sports as we've seen uh, from Arizona's teams. Yeah, I, I I love the enthusiasm, and I agree that they could. I would just – if I had the choice of having a great pitching team or a great hitting team, i choose pitching 10 times out of 10. So well, I, I, love, I, love, I love Arizona's chances. I, I love the, the way they hit. They seem to come through in the clutch. Their bullpen, like I said, has been much better overall recently. But they just their, – their pitching overall is just – it's just average. It's good. It's not great. And by the way, I think the softball team is going to face the same thing at Arkansas uh, because Arkansas has the SEC pitcher of the year. So I think that's what makes a difference come, come playoff time. I think the softball team – and I, I know I'm, being, I'm the wet blanket in your, in your, after I said all those nice things about the, the spring programs. But I, 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 maybe it's just a green in my head. You know, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling in 2001, those pair of aces that got him to the – got him, got him the ring. Uh, I think it, it's true in the college ranks as well. Arkansas is the number one team. We're not even talked about them. Uh, but I, I think that this is a college World Series team. They're definitely a top eight. I think having a, a packed house at High Corbett, which they'll have the option to do, is going to be great. It's going to be the first time all season they're going to have hopefully a, a sold-out crowd or at least close to it at High Corbett. I ju- I'm just skeptical that they can win the whole thing just because I, I think that the, the old adage of defense slash pitching wins championships. That's just my opinion. So earlier today, Shane, you had the chance to sit down with Jacob Berry, uh, freshman infielder for the Arizona Wildcats baseball team. Let's hear what he had to say here on Wildcat Country. Flying solo on this one, but excited to chat with the possible NCAA baseball freshman of the year. He's currently in the driver's seat of that uh, for that award, according to Baseball America. Jacob Berry, infielder for the Pac-12 champion Arizona Wildcats. Jacob, thanks for taking time to chat and congrats on the championship. Uh, I want to start off by asking you, that must have been a crazy couple hours in Corvallis on Sunday, uh, rallying to beat Oregon State and then watching Stanford uh, knock off Oregon and extras to give your team the Pac-12 title. What was that whole experience like for you and the team? Well, first, thanks for having me on this. And that was probably one of the most up and down games I've ever been a part of. It was, we were... String, we were struggling for the first few innings and we just kept battling and it just seems like we weren't getting things to fall. And then finally, in the eighth inning, we rallied around and got some hits and we just sparked together, man. It was awesome. It was, it was an amazing game. We finally came together as a team and showed what we really were. We we're competitors, man. It was awesome. It was, it was just amazing. I, I can't explain it. Were you one of the guys who was huddled around uh, someone's phone watching the end of that, that Oregon-Stanford game? Yes, we were all held around watching that Oregon Stanford game. We were all, and then as soon as we saw the last out, we all went crazy. It was, it was awesome. I've never. It's something I'll never forget, and something that I'll take for as long as I play baseball, and something I can always tell my kids growing up as well. I know this team has had some of the craziest baseball games I've ever seen at any level uh, this season. You know, rallying from that five-one deficit against Oregon State, uh, being down to your final out uh, against Washington multiple times, winning that game seventeen to sixteen. Some teams just seem to have that X factor that allows them to win games like those. What is it about this team 
that makes it so special allows it to do that? I think this team just wants to win. It's not about one individual in particular at all. I mean, we've had game-winning hits and game-winning plays from about everybody on the team. It's not about an individual that's picking up the slack or anything. It's about everybody contributing to the team and just wanting to win and wanting to move on. So I think that's what's gotten us this far and what's allowed us to win so many games and so many close games. So let's talk a little about you because we had Jay Johnson on the show a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about how happy he was, obviously, that he was able to convince you to come play college ball when I think you had the option to go pro out of high school. What went into that decision-making process for you? Was it a difficult one? Um, yes and no, but I, I was. my parents both wanted me to come to college, especially my mother. And my dad wanted me to make my own choice, but I kind of wanted to also follow in his footsteps. He came to college and it benefited him. And both my parents said it was the best time of their lives meet new people, play baseball and play sports. And I can't say they're wrong at all. I'm having a great time this year and then we're winning. So it's it's been awesome. There's not really anything I would ever take back from that. And I'm really glad I'm here. Yeah, I know your, your dad played professional ball himself. Uh, did he offer you any advice in that whole process or did he sort of you know let you be your own man and, and make your own decisions? He... He won't offer his advice too much unless I'm asking about it, but his biggest thing is me to just enjoy the moment and enjoy like what I'm doing right now because at some point I'm not going to be able to do it. For If that's next year, if that's 10 years down the road, it's at some point everybody's going to be done playing. So he's like, just enjoy your teammates, enjoy the atmosphere, take it in because you'll never have this experience again. And I think I've done a better job of that as, as I've gotten older. He, he always told me that, but I never really – believed him until this last year and like when COVID hit and I was like man I never like when we had our last high school game I just never I never realized that or pictured that being my last game ever and that just hit me and then finally this year I've enjoyed it so much more I think being around great teammates and everything like that so he's definitely been a good influence on me and has helped me along the way a lot. Well, let's talk about the season you're having. Uh, you're the best hitter on the best hitting team in college baseball just to put it bluntly you're you know batting 381 14 home runs, 62 RBIs. Like I said, you're Baseball America's front runner for Rookie of the Year. Just name a, sem a semifinalist for the Dick Hauser Award. I I'm sure you're not surprised by your success, but when you sit back and think about the things you've accomplished, are you surprised maybe everything is happening this quickly for you? I've never been one for the awards and such. I've really, I really kind of work, focus more on the process and I don't and the execution more than the results. The results are just. I've been a blessing this year. I've never, I never shoot for those goals. I never set goals for that. I, I really just try to help the team as much as I can. And me hitting right now, the way I am, is just help benefiting the team right now in a good way. So whatever I can do to help the team, I'm all for. I'm not picky on all that, and I just prepare for as much as I can. The best competition we play, and we play in a good, in a very good um, Pac-12. And so it's just. I just try to prepare for each week and help the team out in any way I can. Yeah, Coach Johnson mentioned how humble you are and you know you keep your head on and don't really listen to the outside noise and the accolades. How do you do that? Do you just stay off social media or how do you, you just you know keep keep your focus on the field like that? I just I've never been one for the awards because I think I was always like raised that I mean at the end of the day it doesn't matter how good or how bad you are if you come to the field and you do your job you're gonna be successful and you're going to help your team win because it's not an individual sport. It's just there's individual awards every day, but at the end of the day, it's a team win. It's not just one person winning 
Mike Trout's the best player in baseball, and he's he's on a very good team, but he hasn't won a, a championship, so it's hard to say. Like, I'd rather have that than all the accolades. So you wrap up the regular season this weekend against Dixie State, and then you'll find out what, uh, where you're headed for regionals. It seems likely uh, Arizona will not only be able to host a regional, but host a super regional should you advance. You think this team has done enough to this point to earn a top eight seed and lock in home field for regionals and super regionals based on, on just your body of work? I don't like looking afar that I don't like looking too far ahead in that sense. I'd like to secure the regional and, and then move on from there. But I believe our team is one of the best hitting teams in the country, like you said, and I believe we are a top eight team and I don't see any reason that why we shouldn't be. And if we keep playing and keep playing every game the way we do, we should, we should have a very good chance of hosting these two. Let me back up to your decision to come to Arizona because I know you could have also gone to ASU and you had a couple of other opportunities. You played in Queen Creek High School just a, a few miles down the road from where I'm at. Uh, what made you decide to go play for Coach Johnson at Arizona as a, ahead of some of the other schools, including ASU, right in your backyard? So the, those ASU and U of A were by far my top two schools, and um, U of A just was the better fit. And I, I'm very glad Coach Johnson recruited me at a at a high school and. I just I thought the fit was being close in Tucson and close to family and everything was a really good fit for me. And Johnson just made a very adamant point to come to a lot of my games and made me feel like I was already a part of the team before I even showed up. So that was a big, big reason I decided to come here. He seems like a guy who genuinely loves his job and he's like a fun guy to play for. How would you describe Jay Johnson? Like, what do we what do you guys see that we don't see from him? I would say he wants to win as much as the players do, which I've never seen a coach do. He's he's really wanting to compete and tries to help us in any way he can. He's scouting ahead, it seems like, every day. And he's just – he knows exactly who we're going to face and what they throw in every – and, like, their scouting reports, he's the one doing it. It's not just having some – one of our managers do it. He's putting in the time and effort to find out the players we're playing against and the competition we're playing against. So he's, he's all, he's all hands on deck with us and just anything that can help us he's for. Right, let's go get to know you a little bit off the field. Every student athlete we bring on, we like to ask him some questions uh, off the field or off the court or whatever the case is based on your Twitter profile pick. I'd guess you enjoy hunting. Is that accurate? Yeah, that is very correct. I'm a big hunter and fisher. Uh, that's something my dad has always raised me to do. And I've, I love it, man. It's something that I feel like in the modern day we've gotten away from. Kids don't go outside as much anymore, and that's something I love. It's just I love being outdoors. I love being away from, like, telephones and everything like that. I'm not – I don't know how to play video games, and I'm, I'm never going to, I don't think. I just – it's just something I was raised to. My parents didn't believe in, and they're like, you should be outside and enjoying life because it's, all, it's so short. Why would you – why would you want to take – why would you want to play video games when you go hunting or fishing? That's just me. Where, do you some your, uh, where are some of your favorite spots to go hunt and fish? I'm going to be quiet on those, but I, I hunt and fish <laughs> a lot in Arizona, yeah. But um, I grew up on Lake Powell and Page growing up from when I was a baby till about 12 years old, and we'd go fishing every spring. And every year high school, usually after, as soon as my season would get down, we'd make a trip or two up there to Lake Powell and go fishing, and it was awesome. So during COVID – since I couldn't play baseball, we made a few trips up there, and it was that was awesome. I loved it, and my parent, my dad, and my brother have been going up there the last few weekends, so I've been kind of jealous, even though I've been playing baseball. 
That's something you're looking forward to getting back to when the season's over? We'll see. Hopefully we're playing a long time. So either way, I'll be happy, I think. Fair enough. Well, last question for you, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, You know, Arizona has been given the green light now to fill up high Corbett and, you know, went from no fans at the beginning of the season against, against Ball State to some fans, and now you have the opportunity to have a full house for your remaining games. What does that mean to you and the rest of the team to have the potential to have a full house for Dixie State and then possibly the regionals and super regionals down the road? I've never really experienced a full house, so I'm actually really excited to play in front of it as well. Uh, every player that has told me when we have opening night and we have full stands, it's something you'll never forget. He said it's just an experience that you'll love and you can never take away. It's just a the whole atmosphere changes and it seems like somebody's got your back where especially at home it's it's a totally different feeling. So I'm very All excited. Right, Jacob, Jacob Berry, a starting fielder for Arizona baseball. I know you don't care about the accolades. We love seeing you rack them up potentially. Uh, congratulations on the championship. Go win some more. Best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Sorry, I didn't have the chance to sit down with Jacob as you did, Shane. But one thing that uh, you that we you know hadn't yet talked about, you know, you have this card collection of Arizona Wildcats, past and and I believe present. And so the other week, you sent me a text with uh, pictures that you bought a couple of cards of one Jacob Berry, saying this is the next superstar from the University of Arizona. What made you decide, hey, this is a guy that I want to invest in so early? Because the cards are cheap right now. He's only got one card out. Let's be clear. He's only got one card out right now. It's the the Leaf, like, first ever printed card. There's going to be a lot more. Uh, But he he also has these plates that I had a chance to to buy, but those are a little more expensive, uh, like like one out of one, like cyan signed plates or whatever. Uh, But, yeah, I bought a couple of of his Leaf – cards uh, and they'll have a lot more coming out in the next couple of years obviously um but yeah i i i'm investing in him early uh the guy's going to be a star he's he's uh, i mean he already is a star at the college level uh he was already i think almost a top 100 prospect before, uh, coming out of high school his stock's only going to go up so when jacob berry's cards come out i'd say snatch him up so i i've gotten big in the card collecting over the last few months and uh i i'm adding to my uva collection and you're gonna see a new one behind not not a new one but a different one behind me uh every week i got my deandre ayton rookie behind me because he he's uh, done so well for the suns in the first couple games of their series even though they're gonna lose now because chris paul is injured no shane stop with the negativity all right now the suns are gonna win this series i don't care if chris paul's 100 or not all right we're, we're an Arizona Wildcats show, but I'm just telling you, the Suns are winning that series. Okay, nope. so uh, speaking of winning series, uh, the softball team is traveling to Arkansas this weekend, taking on the Razorbacks, who are the number six overall seed uh, in the Women's College World Series. Will Arizona win this series and advance to Oklahoma City? You're just begging me to continue to be negative. Um, I, I don't think so because I think, again, it's going to come down to pitching. You look at every Arizona team that's won the Women's College World Series, they've had one of the best, if not the best, pitchers in in uh, in softball, uh, whether it's uh, Jenny Finch or Taryn Moat or Alicia Hollowell. Uh, it's been – they've had one of the best uh, whenever they've won the whole thing or come very close to it. And uh, Arkansas has that with uh, Mary Half, the uh, 2021 SEC Pitcher of the Year. Arizona has some good pitching. We had Alyssa Denham on, a senior. She did, she did a great job. She had a big win over UCLA. I would say UCLA is the best team in the country. You'd probably agree. 
but they have a lot of great pitchers, but not, I don't think they have anyone necessarily in the top 10. And especially in the softball level, you have a pitcher who could pitch two out of three games if necessary. So I, I think that's going to be the difference. And the fact that Arizona is not playing at home, they were great at Hill and Brand all season. Uh, I will be surprised if Arizona, pleasantly surprised if Arizona wins the series. All right. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, Mike Candrea, if he is still an elite head coach, he wins this series. Is that fair to say? You're, you find a way to scheme and win the series. That's what I'm just saying. You find a way yeah, to put but, together the but, I, but Eric, I, I think regardless of the sport at this point in the season, it comes down to the players. You know, you can scheme all you want. Either you have the talent or you don't. Arizona's got a great hitting lineup. They have some good pitchers. I just think, again, in order to win a, a college World Series, a women's college World Series, you have to have a top five pitcher, even just one, because they can go you know, two out of three games uh, and even come in you know, in relief in a, in a back-to-back game. But Arizona, all due respect to the pitching staff they have, I don't think they have one in that category this season. And again, like you've pointed out before, Eric, this has been a very average team on the road. Uh, they lost, I think, three home games all season, and that was all to UCLA during senior week. So I'm not optimistic about it. I, think, I don't think it takes anything away from what Mike Andre has done, um, but I think it, it Arkansas, I think, is simply a more talented team. But if Arizona goes on off and win it, wins it, you can uh, you can boast that you were right next week, as you always do. I'm not I'm not going to make a pick on the series. I'm just saying I'd love to see Candrea, uh, you know, find a way to to scheme and win the series. He's the best sure. softball coach I believe of all time, college softball coach. Uh, let's see what he can do this weekend. Good luck to the Wildcats uh, down there in Arkansas. All right. Speaking of great coaches, one coach. You know, I've always said Adia Barnes and Jay Johnson are the two best coaches on campus. I want to add one to that and make it a trio. And that's Laura Ionello of the women's golf team. She doesn't get the credit that, you know, being a not as as high of a revenue producing sport as uh, women's basketball or baseball. But, wow, she can really coach. Third straight Final Four appearance for the women's golf team and that close to being in the championship match. Heck of a run again. Did you see that putt? Uh, they, they got to upset uh, top-seeded Stanford. I, I'm going to try to pronounce her name. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, Gile Bite Starkute. I, I, I spelled That's it phonetically, and I yes. probably still screwed it up. Did I, did I get it right? Okay. She's from I think Lithuania. It's Gile, I think it's Gile. Gile Bite Starkute. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't was, remember if it was Gile or Gile. Okay. I got the rest of it right. Yeah. Uh, but it was like so, a 35-foot putt to, to, win, to beat Stanford? It was, and and I'll tell you, I have played. I played that course last summer uh, up here in in Scottsdale, and yeah. it's not easy. And let me tell you, I didn't wasn't hitting any any putts anywhere close to what uh, Starkute, easy for me to say, uh, hit. I mean, such a clutch putt, and she almost almost found a way to get Arizona into a playoff to go to the uh, to go to the championship match uh, on the 18th hole which is not easy with water and everything like that. She just didn't put herself in great chances uh, against the Ole Miss girl. Uh, but she still, what a great team, you know, very well coached. You know, you're like, we, we you, uh, a week ago, we couldn't name one golfer on the women's golf team, and yet they're in the Final Four. They're one of the four best golf teams in America. Just amazing job by Laura Ionello. We have not given, I, for one, have not given her enough credit. She's done a great job, and congratulations on their success. Shane, what is up with the rest of the Arizona athletics teams that we haven't mentioned yet? 
Well, on a down note, we have to mention that uh, Tony Amato, had, uh, Arizona's women's soccer coach, or just soccer coach, because the women's soccer is the only um, NCAA sport uh, soccer at the soccer level at Arizona. Anyway, Tony Amato uh, is going to Florida to coach the Gators. Um, tough blow for the soccer program, which really had risen to national prominence um, under Amato. Um, and we'll have to see who Arizona hires in his place. And then on top of that, if seniors like Jill Aguilera and Jada Talley, the latter of whom we've had on this podcast, uh, they have a chance to return next season if they elect to do so. And if so, will they play for Arizona now? Um, so uh, best of luck to Coach Amato. Uh, he did some great things for the soccer program at Arizona. Hopefully that continues to rise. Um, but I, I remember back when I was going to school, the soccer team was just was pretty average group. They've gotten better, and hopefully that will continue, but that's going to be tougher without uh, Coach Amato. want to also mention, uh, I know we mentioned our men's tennis team last week. They, they went to the Sweet 16, almost advanced to the Elite Eight. They finished the season ranked number 14 nationally, the highest uh, final ranking in program history. So you mentioned Clancy Shields. Congratulations to him and his team on everything they they accomplished. Uh, those are the big things, and if you want to pivot to men's hoops, uh, we learned uh, we got most of the schedule or some of the schedule already. Um, we learned Arizona's Pac-12 opener is going to be at home against Washington on December second. It's one of two early Pac-12 games on the schedule. Uh, they've also got the MGM main event in November. Uh, are you going to that one, Eric? I'm not sure. Uh, too early to say, but it would be fun. It sounds like uh, it'd be a fun uh, experience out there. Uh, I'm more worried about the football game in September. So let's start with one Vegas trip at a time. You don't want me in Vegas too often, Shane. It's never a good thing no. for anybody. No. Uh, no. So the one thing about the basketball schedule that I think was very important, Arizona does not play one team on the road this year, and that is Oregon, one Pac-12 team on the road, and that's Oregon. That's a huge miss in the schedule. And, I mean, that because that's a near certain loss, at least it was for Sean Miller. Uh, you know, for to not have to play that game, I'm not complaining. Thank you, Pac-12. You, you did us good. Yeah, there's a lot of intriguing possible games on the schedule, including a possible matchup with uh, Michigan at the MGM, uh, at Illinois, which was supposed to happen, I believe, last season, um, at Tennessee. Uh, as far as Pac-12 games, uh, I'm going to try to be at that game against UCLA, the home game against UCLA uh, in Tucson, even though I know there's a good chance that the Bruins are going to mop the floor with Arizona. Uh Mikhail's going to be electric for that game. It always is for that one. I, I think until recently, until the last few years, I would say in terms of men's basketball, UCLA has been Arizona's biggest rival, not ASU. That's changed a little bit the last few years, uh, but it's been Arizona and UCLA. Uh, I And I think that you know if Arizona can get a little momentum going to that game, UCLA is a top-ranked team, that could be a fun game. So I'm excited for that one. Do I expect them to win? Do I expect them to make a deep run in the tournament? No, I don't expect any of those things. I'm excited for a packed house at McHale Center again. I know that hasn't been made official, but it seems like maybe that's the direction it's going. Uh, so uh, I'm excited for the season to start. Hopefully they'll be tournament eligible. Hopefully they'll get there. Um, you know, we'll talk to Matt Moreno and see what he thinks about this upcoming roster. I think they're talent-wise, they're probably about the same level as last season. I think they're a borderline tournament team if they have the opportunity to actually play in the tournament. Well, the Wildcats just landed a new recruit, and we're going to find out more from Go AZ Cats Matt Moreno about who this guy is and how he will impact Arizona next season here on Wildcat Country. We bring back our, I guess our, I don't want to call him our record guest, Shane, but he, we have him on all the time. Matt Moreno, senior editor for GoAZCats.com. He's one of the most frequent guests we've had on the program, and he's one of the most informational because every time he's on, 
I feel like we learned so much new stuff. And so, Matt, I'm going to start off today and ask you, who the heck is Justin Keir, and why does he fit well with the Arizona Wildcats basketball plans? Well, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you right off the bat. It's Justin Kyer. <laughs> Kyer. So Justin Kyer. Kyer yeah. Justin Kyer. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, I think he fits in pretty well with what they want to do. Obviously, when you look at kind of as a team, what Arizona has on the perimeter right now, it's a lot of young players. Across the board, it's a lot of young players. And so uh, you get a guy who's going to be around for one season. He's a graduate, a super senior, really. I mean, he was already a graduate transfer. And so um, he'll be adding to the mix. Um, someone who I think is an attacking guard, someone who can really do a lot of different things, fits in really well with Tommy Lloyd's style in terms of just being able to do a variety of things. A pretty good defender, became a better shooter this last season at Georgia, is someone who's going to attack the basket, can play a little bit of, you know, a few different positions, probably is going to end up on the wing, but if they really need him to in a pinch, he could play the point, point guard spot. And so um, with no true kind of dedicated point guard at this point, um, they kind of have a few different options, a few different directions they could go with that position and Justin Kyer is someone who, who I think could help that as well. So Matt, uh, I think uh, Tommy looks done a good job adding some good uh, role players, some depth on this team via uh, the transfer portal. They were also locked in apparently on a pair of uh, top 50 recruits, Ty Ty Washington, Arthur Kaluma. They didn't get either of them. Is that a cause for concern in your opinion in terms of uh, recruiting going forward or no? I, I could see how it could be. I don't think it's good. I mean, I think it's not the greatest way to start off, but they were also kind of behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. I mean, you're talking about trying to get recruits here in the last kind of 11th hour of the of the recruiting cycle. I mean, most prospects have already decided where they're going to go. Um, they don't really know you at Arizona. Maybe some of these guys knew Tommy Lloyd from being at uh, Gonzaga, but um, they don't know him at Arizona. And so they don't know what system he's going to run. They don't have a lot of time to kind of sell those types of prospects on what they're going to do. They have nothing to show for right now. He can only point to, you know, what he did in, at another school. And so I think it's a difficult time uh, for everything to kind of come into place to, to land, you know, two top 50 guys. So I don't think it's as big of a concern as people think it is. I think if they didn't have Dylan Anderson already in the mix, who essentially committed the day after Tommy Lloyd was announced, a four-star guy, an in-state prospect, someone who had offers to go to a lot of different places, a lot of high-level schools, might be more of a concern, but I think knowing that you have that guy that's going to be coming in next year, you have him already committed, that tells you a little bit about what Tommy Lloyd is going to be and what the staff can be as recruiters. And so um, I think moving forward, it'll just be about kind of building relationships. And so I don't think it's as big of a concern, but I don't think it's the greatest way to start off either. I think you're going to get those fans who are maybe on the fence, guys that uh, people that didn't want to necessarily see Sean Miller go, um, who are kind of saying, well, you know what, this is not, this is why we didn't want Sean Miller, Miller to go. He, he could get recruits. And so um, I think it's to think that way is not appropriate right now. I think you have to let it play out a little bit, see where it goes from here. But I do think they're going to be very involved with, you know, the next class and, and the 2022 class and looking ahead. And again, they already have somebody already committed for that class who's a pretty high end talent. So um, I think things will even out, but it was a, it was a strange time to kind of go through a coaching change and, and you're at the end of, you know, the recruiting cycle and, you're trying to kind of plug some pieces in. And so I think it was just kind of two unfortunate recruitments. Uh, they happened to get involved with guys that, um, you know, some other schools had the inside track on. And so you're trying to play catch up. And again, you don't really have anything to show at this point. If you're Tommy Lloyd at Arizona, you can only point to what you did before, but that's not you know, necessarily everything that a, a recruit is looking for. They have a couple of sp uh, scholarship spots open for um, for next season still. Uh, two, two left. Uh, 
how do you see them filling those or are they going to fill those? It'll be very interesting. I do think that they're going to be in play for some guys. Um, I think the transfer portal is going to continue to kind of be somewhere where they live. Um, there's not really much in terms of uh, high school talent, at least American born. Obviously this coaching staff can kind of pull a rabbit out of the hat in terms of international prospects. And so you never know who they have their eye on, you know, outside of America and outside the U S so there's always a surprise or two that could end up coming through. But I think at this point, uh, it's going to be about the transfer portal. Uh, players have until July 1st to decide whether or not they're going to leave their school. Um, so there's still some time before that moment arrives. And um, that will be if, if they want to be immediately eligible. The NCAA says they have until July 1st to decide and enter the transfer portal. So there's still some time to kind of build this roster. I don't think it will be fully a, a full roster this year. I think based on just kind of hearing some different things, um, obviously, you have the NCAA issue kind of in the background. You don't know if that will eventually lead to some scholarship reductions, and you kind of want to be at least a little bit prepared for that. Um, so I, I do think that you'll see Arizona be a little bit more kind of cautious with the, these next two scholarships, whether that's just hanging on to them for the next class and making sure they have enough room to kind of build this thing out in the future, or whether or not that's just kind of being cautious and really being selective with, uh, you know, who they decide to bring in. Um, I don't know that you'll necessarily see them, you know, add a couple more grad transfers. I think it's possible, but I think they kind of want to lean away from that. Um, I think the situation would have to be right. Um, I do think, you know, this situation maybe calls for that, where you say you can just give those guys a scholarship for a year. If the reductions come, you know, next year, you at least you don't have those guys locked in for longer than, you know, just the season. But um, also, I think Tommy Lloyd wants to really know his players and really have a good relationship with them. And so that's hard to do when you're doing all of this kind of via phone. Um, at least, obviously, you know, the dead period will be coming to an end here soon uh, within the next week. So um, they can at least get some guys out on some visits if there are, you know, those possibilities out there. But um, I think they're going to be a little more cautious. I don't know that I would necessarily expect them to fill both spots. I do think they'll probably add one more um, to the roster, but it'll, it remains to be seen who that will be and, and whether or not that will be a transfer or, you know, if they find someone overseas or maybe even unco uncover a high school prospect that no one has really maybe been talking about yet. All right, so Matt, the big problem is right now uh, at point guard, it's Kirk Creesa, and then what? Right now, that seems like a, a major hole for Arizona, especially if they play a team, let's say a Syracuse, who will press the heck out of them. Yeah, I think that's where you look at someone like Pella Larson from Utah. Um, he did it a little bit last season as a freshman with the Utes. He played the point guard spot. I really do think, and I've talked to a few people and said, I think he could very well end up being their starting point guard. And it kind of raised a few eyebrows when I mentioned that to people. He's a 6'5 guy. He's a little bit taller. He's not necessarily someone you think of as being, you know, a point guard at the college level, but uh, he has a certain skill set that fits that position pretty well. Uh, he's a very good passer. And, and uh, again, coaches like that length. They like to have those taller point guards. And so um, even though he, he isn't the perfect fit, he is capable of handling those duties. I do think it's going to look like more of a point 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 guard by committee kind of type of situation. I thought that before they even landed Pella Larson. Um, I, I don't. That's nothing against Kirk Creesa and his abilities. I think he is very capable of playing both positions, and you don't necessarily want to pigeonhole him into just playing the point guard spot because he can shoot the ball well and you can play him off the ball and he can have some success. So I think, um, based on kind of what we know about what Tommy Lloyd wants to bring to Arizona, what he did at. Uh, Gonzaga and, and what he was able to do just kind of with that system there and looking at how they did things there I think you'll see a pretty free-flowing system 
a lot of movement and a lot of players kind of being able to do a lot of different things. And so I don't think Arizona will be locked in on just having one guy playing, you know, 35, 36 minutes at the point guard spot. Like we saw this last season with James Akinja, where he rarely came off the floor and, you know, he always had the ball in his hand uh, for the most part. I think you're going to see more of a point guard by committee type of situation at Arizona this season under Tommy Lloyd until they can kind of find that guy um, that will be kind of their uh, point guard of the future. But until that time, I think you'll see a lot of different guys. Dalen Terry is someone else who's ran the point guard position. Adama Ball is coming in from Paris, from France, uh, incoming freshman, uh, another taller guy, but he has that ball handling capabilities. This last season, he played the point guard for his team. So they do have some options. And I think you're going to see a lot of different guys kind of play that role for Arizona throughout the season. I don't think it's going to just fall on one person's shoulders. All right. So I'm putting you on the spot with a basketball team because, you know, when you're on the show, we have to put you on the spot. How good is this team as of right now? Are they an NCAA tournament team in your book? I think they're comparable to last last season's team, um, comparable, I should say. And, and um, I think it feels very similar. I think they've replaced kind of the players that they lost with um, pretty even, you know, level of players, level of talent. I think the key is going to be the players who did return. You know, Dalen Terry, I think, is someone that this coaching staff is very excited about and his growth as a player in, in his second season. Um, he didn't really get to showcase everything he could do last year, I don't think. And I think that the staff, it sounds like, is very excited about what he can do. They've had some different team workouts. Obviously, they don't have everybody on campus just yet, but uh, they were able to have some workouts in the spring. And it sounds very positive from what they've seen from someone like Dalen Terry. And then you go back to Azulis Tabellis, uh, Ben Mathurin, and those are going to be your key guys this year. Those are going to be who you're relying on, you know, game in and game out to provide the scoring, to provide kind of everything for your team. And then you kind of fill in around them. Kirk Reese, I think everyone believes he's going to take another step forward. Obviously, didn't get a chance to play for most of last season, uh, came on at the end uh, after he served whatever the suspension was or whatever the deal was with the NCAA when they made him sit out. Um, when he returned, he was, you know, obviously jumping in the middle of a season, really towards the tail end of a season when everybody has had, you know, a ton of time to prepare and has played in games. And so I think for him, I think you expect him to make another step forward. And um, I think it'll be about that core group of players. Christian Coloco is another player who's now going into, you know, uh, his third season with this team. And it is someone who I think everyone expects to make another uh, jump in his uh, development as well. So I think you look at, you know, the core group of, that Arizona has, and, and I think um, it's very similar. And I think that they're going to add, you know, these new pieces in and they'll kind of fit right in. I didn't even mention Shane Noel, who's another kind of guy who could be a versatile player for this team, an incoming freshman who, um, you know, he's been kind of quiet. No one really got to see what he was able to do during the high school season. Um, played on a different kind of – he didn't play, you know, typical high school season. Uh, so not everybody got to see what he could do, and it'll be interesting to see what his development is like and what he's like when he arrives on campus. But um, I do I do like this team, and I do think it's very comparable to, to what they had last year. And I guess that's a long way of saying, yes, I do believe it's an NCAA tournament team. Hopefully they will be eligible this uh, coming season. That would be a big difference. Uh, in terms of uh, football, just to pivot a little bit, Matt, Arizona's a, a few days away now, I believe, from being able to host uh, – recruits on campus again. And I know that Go AZ Cats uh, had a chance to catch up with some Arizona targets at the Rivals Camp in Southern California recently. Uh, you talk about some of the overall impressions that those targets had about the job that Jed Fish and his staff have, have done in terms of trying to bring them to Tucson and their level of effort in, in trying to you know, rebuild that program through those potential uh, recruits. I think the overarching theme that I kind of felt and got the sense from talking to several different targets 
is that there's just intrigue there. There's just something about Arizona that they say, I want to check that place out. And I think everybody I talked to said we're they're either in the process of planning their official visit, working on figuring out when they want to visit Arizona, but none of them said, I'm not going. They all kind of want to go and, and see what Arizona is about and want to make it down to Tucson whenever they can. Some of them are more urgent about that and want to get it done, you know, within the next couple of weeks, where some guys are saying, no, I'd rather wait till the fall, see what it looks like with, you know, students on campus and, and you know, fans in the stands and see what it looks like in a game environment. But um, I think there's a lot of intrigue with with what Jed Fish and the staff is doing. Um, that's part of the battle. The next part is getting them down to Tucson, and that's where kind of this, this visit process is going to be important for Arizona. They have, you know, some big-name guys that are planning to make it out to Arizona and see things in person, and that'll be their chance. They've obviously done a lot of their work already now just kind of virtually, similar to what we're doing right now, where you can kind of just see, you know, over over video, over webcam, kind of get a feel for someone. But it's much different when you get to see them in person, when you get to see a campus in person, get a feel for them, just, you know, how they are. When you can, I know coaches always talk about this, when you can look a recruit in their eyes and kind of see what they're feeling face to face. And I think that's the same for recruits going the other way, learning about coaches. So I think um, the two things that I kind of took away were there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of interest, and recruits simply just want to see some places and see and take these visits and finally get a chance to really meet some coaches face to face. Are there a couple of potential targets, uh, like bigger names, that are in the ha, have a realistic shot of possibly landing in Arizona that you could mention? Uh, yeah, I think one that continues to kind of come up is a, a linebacker out of Reno, Robbie Snelling. He's a very intriguing, interesting prospect. Uh, he's a four-star linebacker. Uh, but he's also a high-level baseball player and someone who was once committed to Stanford for baseball and is going to play both sports wherever he ends up. He's he's planning to play baseball and he's planning to play football. High-level football player, high-level baseball player, he's going to take both things into consideration. He's one of the guys that is expected to visit uh, Arizona in the month of June. Um, baseball is going to play a big part in, in his decision. So it's very interesting to see that Arizona's football staff can do everything they can um, to, to get him on campus and to make sure that he feels comfortable with the football staff. But it really could depend on what happens with the baseball team and how much progress and how much success they have over this, these next few weeks uh, when they get into the NCAA tournament, if they make a run at the College World Series. That could end up playing into, into Robbie Snelling's recruitment and uh, end up making his decision for him. Oregon is in there as well. Texas is another school that was very much involved. It's kind of felt like those three schools are kind of the main programs in contention. Obviously, we know about Texas baseball. Oregon baseball is very successful as well. So it's it's uh, it's easy to see kind of how both sports are playing into his recruitment. And um, Arizona uh, football, when you look at kind of the overall kind of makeup of kind of uh, who, which schools are involved, Arizona football might be the weak link of, of that picture. Oregon football, very strong. Texas football has a new coach, but has that kind of tradition as well. So um Arizona football's pro, their football program and their coaching staff has done a good job of selling him on how he could fit in. Don Brown, this defense being a part of what they want to do, um, but baseball is going to be a big part of that as well. Um, so that he's going to be definitely something to watch and keep an eye on. Um, there is a chance that if Arizona doesn't host the Super Regional, he might not end up coming out at all. So it'll be very interesting to see kind of how this all plays out, and it'll be it will be interesting to see if Arizona does make a Super Regional if that ends up what makes him. You know, commit to end up commit uh, committing at Arizona as a football player, and you know, just that one thing of Arizona simply making the super regional and hosting, you know, super regional in one random baseball season ends up, you know, getting them a very strong football player as well. So uh, he's definitely someone to keep an eye on, you know, over the next few weeks. 
So, Matt, we watched uh, the quarterback play in the spring game. Uh, Shane and I did. We saw Gunnar Cruz outplay Will Plummer significantly, but apparently Plummer had some good practices. But based on what I saw, I think Jordan McLeod is starting sooner uh, than later when it comes to the regular season. Maybe not right away, but maybe by game two or three. Would you agree with that assessment, or is this Gunnar Cruz's job for the long haul? It's very interesting. I think Jordan McLeod has to feel pretty good about his chances. Um, I don't know if you could have a more even battle um, at this point. Uh, Will Plummer started out the spring, and you said, oh, he's going to win the job. He looks the most comfortable. He looks the most sharp. And then he hit a bit of a wall, and he just kind of regressed a little bit, didn't look as sharp, was you know making too many mistakes. And um, that's when, when Gunnar Cruz was able to kind of catch up, and you said, okay, Gunnar Cruz is going to be the guy. You, you look at him. He fits what, you know, when you think of an NFL pro-style system, he kind of fits that in many ways. And so um, you, you kind of said, okay, I think Gunnar Cruz is going to be the guy. And then Will Plummer came on really strong at the end and really put together a, a, some strong practices. I do think it's very difficult to take anything away from the spring game. That looked very different. As someone who watched all 15 practices, that looked very different than what we saw the 14 other practices, the 14 other days the team was out there. Um, there was a lot of trick plays that they didn't run in practice and just – they were trying not to give up too much to any teams that may be watching their spring game film. So um, I, I don't think you could put a lot of merit into what you saw that day. Um, but I do think that uh, it's a very even battle. I think if you look at kind of what played out over the course of the spring, uh, Gunnar Cruz hit a little bit of a wall toward the end and wasn't necessarily as sharp and had his off days as well. Um, I think if you look at all 15 practices, he was the most consistent. If you say who was the more consistent of the two top guys, um, I think from from start to finish, he was more consistent. But in terms of maybe the flash plays and the plays that maybe made you say, oh, that's, wow, that's a, that's a really nice play, Will Plummer probably had more of those. Um, uh, there wasn't as much flash with Gunnar Cruz. But going back to your original point, I think Jordan McLeod, who was at spring practice toward the end, I believe he watched the last practice and he was there at the spring game, um, has to be feeling okay about his chances. I think he's going to come into a situation where he's going to have every opportunity to win the job. And um, you know, when you're coming in as a new guy who missed spring ball, that's kind of all you can hope for. Um, his size, I did see him in person, saw him up close. His size is going to be interesting. I, I want to see him in pads. I just saw him kind of in regular, you know, everyday clothes and a little small. I think he's going to, I think it's going to surprise some people that he's not, you know, as tall as maybe they think he's going to be. And so a little small, I'm going to be interested to see kind of how that looks when he's in full pads and how different he looks from the rest of the group. But um, I, I think that is something to be at least, uh, aware of when he makes it out there and is eventually on campus. Maybe it doesn't matter in the end. Maybe he's has that talent, has the uh, the experience that those other guys don't have because he does have that on his side. He started games. He's played you know in big time games, and so he does have that experience on his side. But um, I think it's going to be an interesting battle once the fall arrives, and I think it's going to be kind of a very even battle. And you won't really know who's going to be the starter until very close to the start of the season. All right, Matt, last question, and thank you as always for joining us. Uh, yesterday, DraftKings came out with their over-under for Arizona football and the, the win total over-under, which is two and a half. If I were to give you, let's say, $100, where are you putting that money, on the over or the under? I think I'm going to go with the over, but just barely. Um, I do think that this is still a three or four win team. hate to tell, tell Arizona fans that, but um, you know, they, they didn't win any games. They're on a 12-game losing streak. I don't think the talent gap uh, has shrunk all that much. I do think that Jed Fish and the staff have addressed some needs and have raised the bar a little bit. Um, but I still think you're still a few years out from really having a successful football program 
you know, under this new staff, they need to get their feet wet. They need to start getting some more talent on board. And maybe the, the transfer portal becoming so popular is going to allow them to do that quicker. Um, but I think for now, I think they just kind of plugged some holes and, and didn't necessarily get a ton better across the board. And um, I do think there are some pieces where you go, that is a you know more talented player at that position. Isaiah Rutherford is someone that you look at at the cornerback spot and you say that based on what he did, he looked like someone who should be going to Notre Dame. He had that kind of makeup and he came in day one and was really impressive throughout camp. And um, he's the highest rated recruit on, on the team. Um, and you look at some of the players, they do have talent. They do have players that will probably eventually be playing on Sundays. But I think overall, the talent level is just not where it needs to be to, to say that they're you know going to be above 500, be a, a bowl game type of team once again. I think that's going to take some time. So um, I, I was high on this team last year, and I was clearly wrong. Uh, I didn't think they were going to go winless even in the five-game season. Um, so maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. But I I, I, I do think that they win a few games. Um, and I, 2.5, two and a half games just seems a little bit low to me. I think it's probably closer to the four, three, four-game uh, wins or three wins this season, three, four wins for Arizona this year. Um, I have a, I have hesitation going beyond that. I think there's going to be some struggles with this team. You're talking about a new staff, a new system. It's a little bit complicated and there's a lot, a lot to the offensive system, a lot to the defensive system. I think it's going to take some time for them to really figure things out and, you know, take a couple of years for them to, you know, head in the right direction again. All right. Well, Matt said he feels good about it. So I'm going to go bet my house on this. So if I'm homeless uh, come December, uh, I'm blaming you, Matt. Thank you, for, as always, for joining us. Uh, you're a great guest. We always learn a lot from you. And uh, check out GoAZCats.com always for the best info when it comes to recruiting and much more with the Arizona Wildcats. Thanks, Matt, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, we thank Matt Moreno for joining us and, and obviously my uh, mispronunciation of the new basketball recruit, uh, Justin Kier, not, not Kier. So, uh, of course, me and pronunciations, whoops on that one. Uh, Shane, one last thing I want to touch on. A great show today, but uh, on Thursday morning, right after the cast is released, the Pac-12 is coming out with their early season football schedule. Now, Arizona has a game in Vegas against BYU. They play uh, San Diego State at home, and I believe they play, is it Portland State after that? Can Arizona maybe not have like 8.30 starts at night? Would, would we expect to see maybe a, an improved TV schedule, or should I not hold my breath? Well, first of all, I totally knew it was Kyer, not Kier. So you just you just you just you completely blew that. I'm really embarrassed for you, by the way. Mm -hmm. I totally Thank know. you. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, as, as far as the football schedule, yeah, you know, I remember, I remember Rich Rodriguez at a press conference uh, like this, the last year, second to last year, he was there. Like, yeah, yeah, another late start, Pac-12 after dark. I love it. Yeah. No, I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, it was nice to have a couple day games this past season. Um, it wasn't nice to watch them, but uh, no. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think it's going to be much different. I think it's just the way it is. It's you know the TV revenue. It's the it's the downside to it. Um, but uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully some East Coast people will tune in at two or three a.m. to watch an Arizona an Arizona upset or two next season because you know for a lot of years, even when Arizona was bad, they'd always have an upset in there. And so I'm hoping for a big time upset, and hopefully there'll be enough people awake on the other side of the country to see it. Well, if they aren't and the Wildcats get blown out, we won't be really upset about that either. I think it's going to be interesting. I think we're going to pick. I will pick an upset. I don't know who it's going to be against, but we'll talk more football as the summer goes along. I want to thank our guest today, Jacob Berry, infielder for the University of Arizona baseball team, the Pac-12 champion baseball team. Matt Moreno, senior editor for Go AZ Cats. 
And want to thank our friends at allazsports.com and the All AZ Sports Podcast Network. Thank you to those guys. Glad to work with them once again. For my co-host Shane Dale, I am Eric Cohen. As always, bear down. <laughs>